1: Is the Georgia race for governor tightening? Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on the ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Patricia, We are taping this both from our homes. You just got back from a busy day in Athens.
2: I did. I was speaking to Audrey Haynes' applied politics class. So wonderful. You know, house speaker David Ralston calls it life-affirming to speak to that class. And I agree. I mean, they were (laughs) just so many. First of all, they all showed up to class. And that's a lot more than I can say about myself in college. Um, And they were all there. And they were paying attention. And they had so many great questions. And she does this terrific class where people who are just involved in politics at every point in the ecosystem of the game come in and speak to her class I think it's a it's such a smart class to put together and I mean the students she gets in there are terrific so I had a wonderful wonderful time in Athens I literally just left her class got some gas did carpool pickup and it was like skidded into my house I was like "Er!" and here I am doing the podcast
1: (laughs) I love that class as well. And it was really neat because when Speaker Ralston, uh, we talked about it in the last podcast, but when Speaker Ralston outlined his 2023 vision, he said he used Audrey Haynes' applied politics class as his inspiration. That was the Amazing. reason why he said he doesn't want to delve deeper into social cultural wars and issues like that because that class, they didn't they weren't asking him about guns or abortion or whatnot. They were asking about, you know, what's next, you know, the future of Georgia. Well, I got back from an event with Stacey Abrams, with Governor Kemp, from an ADL, Anti-Defamation League, luncheon. And now I'm at my house's playroom overlooking a field full of pink flamingos in my front lawn, which is a testament to my terrible fantasy football play in last week's game. The lowest score gets the, the pink flamingos. And more often than not, the pink flamingos grace my front yard. So Patricia or any of our listeners, if you have any good fantasy football tips, I certainly need them.
2: I, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm never, I'm not even so, <laughs> I'm not dumb enough to play fantasy football. I would lose so much money.
1: Patricia, I'm in so many fantasy football leagues and a few of them are, are kind of, you know, a decent amount of money. And I, I've won, I've won a few times. So with dumb luck, but, uh, nowadays I'm losing more than I'm winning. And it's harder and harder to pay attention to it, but it's still a point of pride. I got to, got to compete. Well, coming up later, we're going to talk about how governor Kemp is avoiding getting into a debate over a national abortion ban. But first we have some new polls out showing the race for governor could be getting a little bit closer. We have echelon insights poll showing camp deadlock with Stacey Abrams. And we also have a poll university poll that also shows a very tight race. We should note too, we have an insider advantage poll that does not show a tight race. It shows Kemp up by eight points. Um, So we're seeing a mixed bag and the AJC UGA poll should be out within a few days. But Patricia, you know, all this shows us what we always expected. Stacey Abrams is the underdog. She's coming from behind. She's trailing in the polls, but we always also thought that this race would end up inevitably tightening It still might be a solid lead for Kemp, but a solid lead these days is not 8, 10 points. It's 3 or 4 points.
2: Yes, we always knew this was going to be close. And that is just because of the nature of Georgia politics right now. It just feels so much like a 50-50 state when you're out there talking to voters, when you're seeing the candidates that they're able to recruit. Um, They're doing a lot of their own internal polling along with the public polling that we and other outfits are doing. And so we expected this to tighten. And we'll have to look and see what other polls, including the AJC poll, which should be should be coming in pretty soon. Um, We'll have to see if this looks like a trend that these polls are all agreeing on that this race is tightening. And if so, uh, what does that mean? And is this, you know, temporary? Uh, Is this going to last through November? Also, that Quinnipiac poll did not have the Walker-Warnock race tightening, which is unusual, because uh, you tend to see those races sort of rise and fall together in most normal years. But as we know, these are not normal years. And so that Quinnipiac poll had Walker down by six. And that's not going to be great news for the Walker campaign. But I think all of these polls were looking really just for the movement and the trends, not predictions.
1: Okay, I'm going to pronounce it right now. Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac.
2: Quinnipiac. Or (laughs) Q. Yeah, Um, I'll just say Q. Well, not that Q, but the other Q, the Quinnipiac poll Q.
1: I should know it by now. I should know how to pronounce it by now. But you're right. The Senate races have been really close throughout as well. And we're not seeing too much new trends there. But it's led us to believe that, you know, with Governor Kemp outpolling Herschel Walker in many of these polls, that he'll eventually have to, well, A, Walker might be pushing Kemp for some help down the finish line, right? To help him cross the finish line. At a recent campaign stop up in Calhoun, Georgia, Governor Kemp was asked if he plans to campaign with the full ticket, including Herschel Walker.
3: I'll campaign with anybody that's on our ticket. I mean, look, the voters have spoken. I'm proud of the folks on the Republican ticket. We've been with just about all of them now, and we'll
1: continue to do that. Patricia, we've talked so much about how, at least at first, we weren't seeing um, Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock together at the same campaign rally. Eventually, they did do that. They kind of checked that box. Um, What we still haven't seen is Herschel Walker and Brian Kemp We've seen them at the same events, taking pictures behind stage, but we haven't seen them at a rally together. And as November nears, Herschel Walker might need Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp, in all these polls, is the most popular Republican in Georgia. Herschel Walker might need him to help get him across that 50% mark if it comes to that.
2: Yeah, I thought his answer was so interesting. I feel like the word anyone is a very loaded word in politics <laughs> when, he's, when you said, would you Would you campaign with Herschel Walker? I'll campaign with anyone. You know, uh, that is always a sign of I am trying not to get nailed down on this position right here. And so he certainly didn't preclude campaigning with Herschel Walker. It would be highly unusual if we get to actual election day and they have not appeared together and campaigned together would not be unprecedented. It'd be very unusual. But that was not a direct commitment. And it was not a um, it was not praising Herschel Walker directly. And I think that is what jumped out to me in that answer.
1: Yeah, Patricia, that's the sort of the same answer that Governor Kemp gets when he's asked about campaigning with Donald Trump, <laughs> you know? And yes. Donald Trump, who made Kemp his top target or one of his top targets doing the primary when he backed Senator, former Senator David Perdue, who lost and only got about 20% of the vote. So Governor Kemp is trying to play. Look, he's, at this point, he's trying not to get himself in any trouble, right? Here's what he said when he was asked if he was concerned about Burt Jones, who is the Republican nominee for lieutenant governor, but also is one of the fake electors that is under scrutiny for his role in Donald Trump's plot to overturn the election.
3: Look, he's he's the nominee uh, of our party. And I'm gonna support the ticket. I'm gonna campaign with him. Uh, You would have to ask him about individual positions he's taken. I mean, not all Republicans agree on all the policy issues. We see that every single day. Uh, but I, I don't want to be speaking for other people. I, I control what I can control. I think the voters of this state know where I stand. Look, even if people don't like positions I've taken, you know, there are things that I promised people I would do so they can at least appreciate that I've done what I said I would. Are you trying to
1: reach <laughs> I control what I can control. It, it just it seems like a sort of Zen like <laughs> <laughs> Brian Kemp was like, hey, I'm not going to worry about things that are out of out of my control. I'll just control focus on what I can focus on.
2: Yeah, that is well that we know that that is the only thing that kept him sane during the Donald Trump um, calamity is all you can really call it for a sitting governor to start to get incoming from the now he's the former president, but for for Brian Kemp to become the target of the rage of Donald Trump, we heard from him again, and again, look, all I can control is what I can control. And that was what he said. In the aftermath after the elections, as Donald Trump was trying to overturn the elections, as Donald Trump was targeting him on social media, and uh, really, really getting Every other Republican in the state to um to start to distance themselves from Kemp. That just didn't work. And all we ever heard from Brian Kemp was, I just I can control what I can control. And so that's a very consistent mantra that has kept him in this business for as long as he has been in it. But again, let's get back to his answer on Bert Jones. He didn't say, Yes, I'll campaign with Burt Jones. We did not hear Burt Jones' name out of his mouth either. He said, Oh, I'll campaign with the nominee. Yeah, sure. Anyone whatever. you know, He at this point is his own brand. He's his own very specific brand of Republican and conservative, but not Trump Republican. And that has really been his sweet spot. That has been the, the recipe for his success in the primary that nobody, a lot of people thought he wasn't even going to get through the primary once David Perdue announced. It became more and more clear that wasn't going to happen. But he's just never jumped into the foxhole with other Republicans here in this state in this election cycle. And um, he's not doing it again right now.
1: It's strange to think that in 2018, Brian Kemp was the ultimate outsider, right? Even though he was Secretary of State, even though he had an office across the hall from Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, he framed himself as this outsider businessman who would go against the establishment and now whether he likes it or not he's sort of the embodiment of the republican establishment right he's a hero of many establishment republicans because he stood up to trump or at least he withstood trump's attacks and won overwhelmingly over david perdue and it just strikes me he he's in this unique position as this formerly outsider candidate who who now is a favorite of the mainstream republican not just in Georgia, but also nationally. Look at his fundraiser with Mitch McConnell and 16 other Republican senators.
2: Yeah, well, listen, if uh, Brian Kemp can keep Georgia, keep the Georgia governor's mansion Republican, he's going to be automatically one of the most successful Republicans in the entire country. And he will be the only one who figured out how to live in the same world as Donald Trump and not lose your job in the process and not give away your own politics in the process. He's really if he pulls this off, he will have really managed what seemed completely unmanageable in the weeks and months after the 2020 elections. And so um, other Republicans want to be around that. They would love to learn that lesson. They would love to have that example thriving within the Republican Party. Yes, you can be a conservative. Yes, you can go up against Donald Trump when, when it really matters. And yes, you can keep your job. They would love for that to be the future of the Republican Party.
1: Let's talk about the Democratic side of this equation. Stacey Abrams, she's in the mid to high 40s in most of these polls, including the last AJC poll out a few weeks ago. Uh, Again, we'll give you more information about the next AJC poll, probably in our next Politically Georgia podcast. But one of the biggest sort of glaring issues that Stacey Abrams has is her support among black voters is at 80%. And that sounds like a lot, right? That sounds like an awful lot. But she needs to get closer to 90s, even mid-90s in order to win. And Patricia, she knows this is an issue. This is an issue that her campaign has talked about a lot. And she's even starting to have even more events, especially events targeted towards black men. Her campaign manager, Lauren Groworgo has even said that they're treating black voters a lot the same way that they treat white college educated women from the suburbs, which is as persuadable targets, not as not as not as voters who are already motivated. And Patricia, uh, Stacey Abrams had an event a couple of days ago targeting this exact segment of the electorate, black men, where she was asked what her overall message to black men is and whether she's concerned they haven't supported her at the same level as black women. Well, we
3: know that black men can sometimes be more conservative. Oh. And it's,
2: it's that. people. we're not a model of race. People can vote for who the they want to. But we should vote for what we need I'm the only candidate who has a plan to guarantee access to health care and save hospitals. I'm the only one with a plan to actually address the affordable housing crisis. I'm the only one with a plan to guarantee that our young people can go to college and stay in college. And I'm the only one with a plan to actually invest our tax dollars in our people instead of giving it to the wealthy. And that is a message I think resonates with everyone, especially black men, because when it comes down to this is a vital part of our electorate. I'm not going to leave any community untouched and you know, unconnected with so that sounds a lot like the message that she actually is rolling out for all voters right now. Um, those big tent poles of education and improving health care and expanding Medicaid to improve health care access. So, um, all of those are broad and broadly popular issues. At that same event where she was talking to uh, black men voters, she also talked a lot about her own brothers, talked about issues that uh, she said she felt like they would care about, including how anybody, how anybody in Georgia can provide for their families, how they can sort of plan a future in a state where uh there's equality where there is equal access to opportunity. Um, so it's a it's a message that is uh, for some reason not it has not been catching on in full measure with those black men. Um, it could have something to do with the fact that she is a black woman. I don't think anybody knows exactly. What it's doing to um to her polling, the fact that we've never had a woman governor, and uh, here's the first woman who's absolutely the very closest we've ever had. Is there any gender dynamic playing in there? Um I don't know if that's what's causing, at least in in the polling that we've seen so far, causing that lag with uh, black men voters in particular. But it's certainly numbers that she needs to get up. Another thing that, Lauren said on Political Rewind earlier today is that they know and they are proceeding with black voters as if they are every other constituency and that you obviously can't take them for granted. And she said her phrasing was really interesting. She said, we need to be just as curious about black voters as we are about groups of female voters, groups of college educated white women, groups of, you know, any other group that you can think of. What do they want? What do they need? What do those voters tell them in focus groups and in polling? They need to hear from Stacey Abrams. She knows that they cannot take this group for granted. And that group right now is telling her, you're right, you can't take us for granted. And so that is an area where I think they have the potential to make up, um, but we'll have to see what they do. It'll be really interesting also to see how the Senate race plays into this. Will Herschel Walker on the other side of the Senate ticket, will that jumble this race up among Black men voters as well? He, Herschel Walker, has done a number of events targeting Black voters, Um, of course, as has Uh, Raphael Warnock. But we're seeing the Republicans really make a specific direct play for black voters in a way that I haven't seen them do as much in the past. And they're certainly focused on doing that this year.
1: Yeah. In the poll so far, it shows Brian Kemp and Herschel Walker, 10, 15 points among black voters. And again, doesn't seem much to write home about, but let's put it this way. When when Nathan Deal was running for re-election in 2014, he was trying to get to just 10% and basically got around there um, according to exit polls and basically through a ticker tape parade, I mean that was a huge accomplishment for a Republican statewide candidate. Johnny Isaacson managed to get double digits among Black voters. A couple years later, it's it's a coup for Democrat for Republicans to get double digits with African American voters.
2: Um, so Greg, also we we can't get quite into the deep deep cross tabs of that Quinnipiac poll, but in that Quinnipiac poll where Abrams and Kemp are essentially tied. Abrams is winning black voters by 91%. And so that is the exact range where she needs to be um, to be up there and to have a fighting chance against beating him. And in that poll, she does. And that really explains the difference between t- polls where she's trailing and polls where she's not.
1: That's exactly right, Patricia. And, and that's why Democrats still have some optimism, despite, or a lot of optimism, despite all these polls that showed Abrams trailing by bigger margins. Because once she starts closing that gap, which Abrams and other Democrats believe she can, the race gets a lot tighter. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal
0: Constitution. Hip hop is a product of black people, it's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal Constitution presents Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South, a Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants to rhythm, but they don't want to blues. The biggest names in hip-hop.
2: Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop.
0: 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash Indictment Newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash Indictment Newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia
1: from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluesteen, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders at the AJC, and we're also two of the Morning Jolt newsletter curators, authors. We believe that Morning Jolt sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, for a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for just 99 cents. You really have no excuse. Politics, investigations, breaking news, sports, dining, all of our newsletters, including the jolt, less than a dollar. It's our best offer for the best journalism in Atlanta. Go to subscribe that AJC.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months for just ninety-nine cents. That's subscribe that ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really Going on, we've had a very busy jolt full of breaking news. We'll have some more breaking news in Friday's jolt about a rift up in the exurbs, and we've also explored the Republican divisions over Senator Lindsey Graham's proposal for a ban on most abortions at the 15-week mark. And Patricia. This has caused a unique divide in Georgia because perhaps surprisingly, perhaps not so surprisingly, Herschel Walker didn't just endorse it. He kind of embraced the idea by saying, I'm a proud pro-life Christian, and I will always stand up for our unborn children. I believe this issue should be decided at the state level, but I would support this policy. So right there, you have him endorsing a federal restriction on abortions. Uh, in a way that many Republicans have tried to distance themselves from this idea. Even Senator Mitch McConnell, the GOP leader, said, basically, uh, th- this th- this is not a priority. Um, you've had many other Republicans in battleground states try to duck the question or change the subject or not outright endorse this idea. But meanwhile, Herschel Walker, who, by the way, before he entered the race, made it very clear that he supports a total ban on abortion, he is saying that yes, he would support these federal restriction.
2: Yes. Well, the problem with what Lindsey Graham has done is that it just is so counter to what Republicans said in the days, weeks, and months since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And in order to allow for different Republicans in different districts and different states to have a message that works for where they are and where they're elected, they the immediate response was, this has merely been sent to the state level. This is not a federal abortion ban. Abortion is still legal. It really is going to depend on where you are, but the appropriate place for these decisions is at the state level. And then communities can make these decisions for themselves. And that is exactly where it belongs in their retelling. Lindsey Graham, federal law nationwide 15-week abortion ban. Not only is that just completely counter to what Republicans were trying to say and trying to give voters and other Republicans leeway and some breathing room, so it's not Republicans all endorsing a federal abortion ban. It is also not as strong as some red states, and it's not, at meaning it's not as restrictive as some red states have made it, and it's more restrictive than some other states have made it. And so it is a, a uniquely Bad policy idea on just about every level, especially if you're a Republican. Um, so here in the here in the state of Georgia, that would loosen the restrictions that Republicans have themselves just put into place. Although even those restrictions are not as as I guess I know we say far to the right or as uh, black and white. Um, Herschel Walker and his position has been very very clear. He's against all abortions including in cases of rape and incest, at any point in pregnancy, that it doesn't get more kind of black and white than that, just a complete ban on abortion. So even him voting to support Lindsey Graham's bill would both put it at the federal level and also put it at restrictions much looser than what he himself has been advocating for. So it's uh, a... I don't know where Lindsey Graham is going with that.
1: (laughs) Well, it's music to Democrats ears because, as we've said so many times, Democrats would love to keep more attention focused on Republican anti-abortion policies because polls show, including the AJC's most recent poll, that a majority of voters oppose the overturning of Roe v. Wade and a majority of voters in Georgia oppose Georgia's anti-abortion restrictions. And so by framing more attention on this issue, Democrats hope that it'll help them gain support. Republicans mostly want to keep the focus on public safety and the economy. But when Lindsey Graham's proposal comes out there, it forces a lot more attention back towards that issue. I asked Governor Kemp about Herschel Walker's stance up in Calhoun, Georgia, earlier this week, and asked him, would it make sense to have a federal abortion restriction? Here's what he said.
3: Well, I, I haven't been concerned about what's going on in Washington, D.C. You know, I've been focused on helping our folks fight through 40-year high inflation, new taxes, disaster at the gas pump, disaster at the border, and that's what I'm going to stay focused on.
1: So that, friends, is a dodge, so I asked wow. him again. And here's what he said.
3: <laughs> well, I'm supportive of winning the election, and we'll have plenty of time in the transition to see what's going to happen during the... Next legislative session, I know the legislators have a say in that. A lot of other people that are running have a say in that. And that's what this campaign's all about.
1: So that's another dodge. It's not (laughs) unexpected, right? Brian Kemp is a lot like most Republicans. He's not going to shy away from his stance on abortion limits. He's the one who signed the 2019 law into law. But even at a pro-Christian anti-abortion conference on Thursday he barely talked about his abortion stance. I mean, he in a 12-minute speech, he, he brought it up once and then and then focused on economy and his foster care reform measures and things like that. So Kemp gave the answer we'd expect. Hershel Walker gave the answer that we maybe didn't expect by saying, yep, I support this proposal.
2: Yes, and it's obvious that the reason we're hearing these answers from Brian Kemp is that the polling on this is extremely, extremely clear. Georgia's six-week abortion ban... Is not what a majority of Georgia voters want. It about fifty-two percent of Georgia voters have said they oppose that very strongly. Only thirty-six percent of Georgia voters said that they approve of that bill. That is just very clear polling. There's no gray area there. There's no way to misread that. And so, uh, but what voters are concerned about are gas prices, inflation. Jobs. They also are concerned about abortion, but the Republicans at this point have made the calculation the story they need to tell is the story that a majority of Georgia voters agree with them on. That piece of it, the economy, jobs, inflation. The other piece, the abortion ban, is something that they did pass, something that they proudly passed, spent a lot of political capital doing it. And so I do also think that other Republicans would like to see them talk more about it because the pro life, anti abortion movement. Movement in the Republican Party is hugely important. And they get the lion's share of the credit for Republicans being so dominant in this state. It really was the abortion issue that galvanized Republican voters to turn out in huge numbers in the past. And so this is, a, it's a real tough political spot for Republicans. The The movement inside of their party is very clear. But whether or not this wins or loses elections is unclear right now because it's the first time in 50 years that voters go to the poll in particular women go to the polls in november and the abortion issue is a live issue it is um it is unsettled it's volatile it's emotional and um this is the first time that that issue is on the ballot for everybody on that ballot u.s senate governor state senate state house Attorney General, they all have some piece of the abortion policy that comes into their offices. And so nobody knows how much of an issue abortion is going to be, but it will be an issue. There's just no way that it can't be.
1: And women in Georgia often already outvote. Uh, They form about 55% of the electorate in Georgia that actually votes of the voting electorate. And we don't know if that will change, you know, if they'll be 56, 57%. What that means is with a big gender gap that supports, that shows that women are overwhelmingly voting Democratic, uh, that could help the statewide Democratic candidates even more. So we we will soon find out. But, Patricia, we also had one more bit of Kemp-related news. He announced on Thursday basically a rescue plan for Grady Memorial Hospital. Um, Not that Grady Memorial necessarily needed imminent rescue, but now that we have Atlanta Medical Center's planned closure November 1st, It's a century-old hospital that we've talked a lot about on the podcast before. It's also the only other level one trauma center in metro Atlanta. That means more pressure on Grady, more pressure on Emory, more pressure on Piedmont, Northside, all the metro Atlanta area hospitals. Uh, that would get the extra traffic. And rather than kind of spread the money out to several different hospitals, the governor and his allies decided in his administration decided to focus on Grady, $130 million going to Grady to add about 200 beds. There's also the prospect of private donations. We've heard tens of millions of dollars upwards to $50 million that will still has yet to be announced, but is in the works. So Patricia, this is something that has also become a campaign issue. As Stacey Abrams says, hey, this is just a stopgap answer. Medicaid expansion is the only long-term plan to help save these hospitals. Governor Kemp can point back and say, this is not just a Band-Aid. This is a long-term plan. And he also adds that Wellstar, which owns Atlanta Medical Center, said that expanding Medicaid alone would not have prevented that hospital's closure.
2: Yes. Well, I think that um, Governor Kemp needed to do this and not just for a politics reason and not even primarily for a political reason. I mean, this is a very, very serious situation there in Midtown Atlanta and 200 beds at Grady will be a huge improvement, but it won't be enough. It's not enough to it's not going to double the size of Grady's trauma capabilities. And it also is not going to answer the needs of the other hospitals in the area, including Emory Midtown, and Piedmont that are certainly going to get the overflow of some of that. And also, it really doesn't answer the question of what about the people who are still in that community, who don't know where to go, like other than calling an ambulance. Who is going to help them sort of find new doctors? Who's going to help them get to these hospitals that are further away from where they live? Um, they go to that hospital because it's close to them. It's just a real crisis situation. Now, WellStore is a uh, very wealthy nonprofit. <laughs> company. Um, And they were going to do what they were going to do. I don't think that Governor Kemp gets the lion's share of the blame for Wellstar's choice. But the Abrams campaign is making the argument, had you expanded Medicaid, as you said earlier, um, Greg, had you expanded Medicaid, this wouldn't have happened. Now, would it have happened anyway? That's still possible. That is a really big, really old building that they're in. I mean, it must cost an arm and a leg just to keep the lights on in that place. It's hard to say if Medicaid would have kept it open, but it would have made it a lot easier. And it would have made it much easier for the rural hospitals in this state that have closed. And they have said that a big reason that they weren't able to pay their bills was because there's not full Medicaid expansion in this state. Um, providing healthcare is getting more and more expensive. And the financial rewards for that, particularly as uh, more people are falling into this gap where they can't afford the Obamacare premiums, but they also are not living at a poverty level to be covered by Medicaid. That is an expanding population, and that's more and more people not able to pay their bills when they go into the hospital or have a medical expense.
1: One other interesting thing to note from that event was the CAB CEO Mike Thurman, Fulton County Commission Chairman Rob Pitts were both there, both Democrats, both standing alongside Governor Kemp. Michael Thurman was somewhat guarded in his remarks. He said, the new cash is a reprieve, not a bailout. So he said, "This is not some sort of rescue; it's more temporary." He also said that lawmakers—he was, he wasn't necessarily Republicans—he said this healthcare is an apolitical issue, but he said lawmakers should also start looking at the root causes of a lot of these traumas. And it was a clear indication he was talking about gun violence, in a sense. Rob Pitts, interestingly, also laid out a plan for a new hospital for South Fulton. This would be years in the making. There's no specifics, really. But he vowed that a new hospital would be built in South Fulton to relieve some of this this pressure. But again, we're not talking anytime soon. Patricia, now it's time for one of our favorite segments, The Listener Mailbag. And you can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297, 770-810-5297. And on our screen, Chaney B., our our mailbag coordinator slash producer, he just popped online to show his smiling face because this is his life's mission. You rang? (laughs)
2: This is his 24 7 obsession. I have been up all
0: week waiting for this moment. In fact, I have uh, some some, uh, listener mailbag music for you. (laughs) If that doesn't make you insane, I don't know what will. I <laughs> love <them> nightmares.
2: That, <laughs> we paid a that, lot of money for that, Craig. That, that, that is actually what the voices in my head sound like when I'm writing a column. <laughs> that's like cruel and
1: unusual punishment when you when you oh wanna God. you're in some war prison somewhere in <laughs> underground Abkhazia or something and they're playing that in the background. Right?
2: Yes, that's but, uh, the Abkhazian prison music. <laughs> <of it. laughs>
1: By the way, my screen, Shaney B, you're frozen with this crazy grin. I don't know if he's frozen on your screen, Patricia, but he's just looking like this. He's just like, he's up on the top of the screen and he's, Shaney B's face is literally frozen. So he's not moving. And he's
2: wearing a t shirt and all we can see is it says, You you can't. can't.
1: (laughs) You can't. This is your moment, Shaney B, and and your your moment of the week.
0: You can't scare me. I have two sisters. Oh, okay. good one. Yeah, good one. One. It came in the mail the other day from my sister, Angela. So a little shout Oh, out.
2: that's sweet. Yeah. Nice.
1: Well, Shaney B., what have you and your interns tirelessly worked to field for
0: us this week? Well, in between putting that beautiful music bed together, we took a phone call from Mike in Atlanta. Here's Mike.
3: I to hear more about some of the other statewide races, specifically uh, Secretary of State and Attorney General. have not heard much from Bean Nguyen, a uh, big fan of hers. Also, I uh, want to hear more about Attorney General's, where they stand, what's going on, what the issues are.
2: I love this question. I love this question so much. Thank you so much for calling in with that, because... 2022 is one of these years where the governor's race and the Senate race may not even be the most interesting races because we have so many statewide contests that are equally interesting and are equally knee-deep in sort of suspense and controversy and very able candidates. We've got some real superstar candidates on both sides of the aisle coming out for these races. So the Attorney General's race is sitting Attorney General Chris Carr and State Senator Jen Jordan, the Democrat who uh, stepped forward to run for attorney general. And Jen Jordan has been a real rising star, I would say, for Democrats since she got into the state Senate. And uh, she has really made the abortion issue even before the Roe v. Wade decision came down and overturned Roe v. Wade. Even before that, abortion was really one of her most animating issues. And uh, Jen Jordan really sort of rose to national prominence when she spoke out against the six-week abortion ban. She has said now as a candidate she would not defend that law in court. She, uh, like Chris Carr, is a graduate of the University of Georgia Law School. There are a whole lot of leaders in this state who knew each other, all knew each other, and went to school together at UGA Law School. There are two of them. Um, Chris Carr is, I would say, quite conservative, but he was also on Donald Trump's shortlist of people to be mad about because Chris Carr did not go along with Donald Trump's efforts uh, to overturn the election as well. And so we have these two really fascinating, dynamic candidates. And Greg, weigh in on this race. Yeah, I'll
1: talk about the Secretary of State race because that one might be the most remarkable, one of the more remarkable in the country uh, because... If you would ask, I think, either one of us, if Brad Raffensburger would even be in the conversation now, uh, at least last year, I would have told you no way. I mean, shortly after the November 2020 election, we had a number of high-profile Republicans, including the two then-incumbent Republican senators, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, call for Raffensperger to step down. He was scapegoated by Trump and his supporters as one of the reasons why Donald Trump lost the 2020 election here in Georgia, and of course, many Democrats also weren't fans of his. Well, he has completely, you know, kind of reversed his image uh, in many senses. He he still has significant Republican support, but he's also attracted thousands of Democratic crossover voters uh, because of his very infamous and famous call with Donald Trump, where he stood up to Donald Trump's attempts to find enough votes to overturn the election. And our latest AJC poll shows Brad Raffensperger up over Bean Wynn by 17 points. But what's really interesting in this race right now, Mike, is that Brad Raffensperger hasn't been raising that much money. He hasn't been spending that much money. He he feels pretty comfortable. Bean Wynn, though, is launching very aggressive ad campaigns, essentially saying what she's been saying on the campaign trail, which is Brad is not your friend. That's her message to Democrats it's that hey he might be this guy who you know you're upholding as this as this hero as someone who stood up against Trump but he's still a republican who's embraced very conservative policies and who supported SB202 which is the election rewrite that includes new obstacles for voters at the ballot box so we'll be watching that race we're also polling that race so i can't wait to see uh, what the latest poll is if if things have changed for beanwin because again she was down by 17 points in a really rough rough spot but that was before she really stepped up her campaign okay we also have another question chain <laughs> we do
0: this <laughs> call come
2: you still
0: look crazy <laughs> when
2: <you come> up. <laughs> the crazy dentist patient <laughs> i can't help it that's how
0: god made me our next caller comes all the way from broomfield colorado Ooh. let's hear from kevin
3: uh hello. I just watched an interview with Stacey Abrams on MSNBC and I guess because I have a subscription, been following you guys, I was really surprised she did not tie in Medicaid expansion and um the loss of Atlanta Medical Center. Um you know, I've read the stuff about how Grady is going to be supported after this, but population that was served by this hospital and I just, it feels like a missed moment and I just wondered what you guys had to say about that.
1: Kevin, that's really interesting because I'm interested in how the Atlanta media and the Georgia media has been covering this hospital closure because to the AJC, this has been one of the biggest stories, not just of, of the week or the month, but really of the year. And I think when we look back in December, it will probably be one of our top stories beyond the election, our top stories, because it impacts so many people in ways that we can't even calculate right now. You know, you get in a car wreck, God forbid, in downtown Atlanta, and you have one less option of where you'll be treated. And that's just for your average Georgian, but for the people who relied on Atlanta Medical Center, it's a place of refuge, it's a place to go when they were sick or injured. It's no longer going to be there for them after November, and it's going to tremendously increase the strain on Grady and other hospitals in Metro Atlanta. But as a campaign issue, nationally, it might not work for her. I mean, I've I've noticed there's been some sustained coverage from the Atlanta media. And certainly at this press conference on Thursday that Governor Kemp held about Grady, there was a lot more cameras than I usually see at any other events. But we'll see how much of an issue this will continue to be going on towards November. Certainly it helps Stacey Abram highlight a point that she made, not just in this campaign, but throughout her 2018 campaign too, which is the state needs to expand Medicaid. It's something that Governor Kemp has opposed because he believes it's too costly and too inflexible in the long run and supports a a more limited Medicaid expansion with requirements tied to work or academic eligibility. But for Stacey Abrams, this goes back to the heart of her message. I just think for a national audience, though, talking about AMC, a hospital that many in Atlanta don't even aren't too familiar with, might be too much of a explanation.
2: Yeah, and I think also when Stacey Abrams goes on MSNBC or Herschel Walker goes on Fox News, um, a lot of those conversations are really meant to drive out-of-state fundraising because now anybody who sees these candidates on TV, even when they don't live anywhere near Georgia, for example, Colorado – you can just go online and give her $10 a month. If she says something that resonates with you in Colorado or California or Maine, that is what's going to drive those out-of-state donations. And she is rigging in out-of-state donations because she has such a high national profile. And so to a national audience, I hear her talk a great deal about abortion. Abortion is huge for all Democrats around the country. Also talks a lot about voting rights because she's so associated with that issue. And uh, when Georgia passed SB202, that was the catalyst to her going up and testifying on Capitol Hill about voting rights. And she is so well known for that issue. I think that those are the issues that she tends to highlight to a national audience because that drives voter engagement Engagement and specifically donor engagement, um, which she's going on those national platforms.
1: Well, it's Friday, thank goodness, which means it is time for our "Who's Up, Who's Down" segment for the week. And let's
0: let's end. It- oh. <laughs> Don't forget the, uh, the who's up, who's down band is in the house. Wow. Tip Jenner. It's, so, it's so much
1: better than Get the, the, the dial tone song we had before. That was worth the commission. They're still can, here. Oh, they're still here. Sorry. You're going to hurt their
2: feelings. Sorry. Sorry. Very sensitive.
1: It does sound like, like a We're getting so
2: hoot. fancy with all these side effects. I
1: know. It's because of you, our loyal listeners, that we're able to afford... Uh, Who wants to be a millionaire type soundtracks? Well, Patricia, let's let's end on a high note. So let's start with who's down. Uh, Who's your who's down for the week?
2: Who's my who's down for the week? I'm going to give it to Republicans writ large because of Lindsey Graham's decision to pitch uh, the idea of abortion laws at the national level after they have so successfully messaged that is a statewide issue. It also then requires every single Republican running for federal office, no matter where they are, to come out with a position on this. And certainly Herschel Walker made a lot of news when he came out with his position on Lindsey Graham's. Um, And so it just put Republicans in the territory they don't want to be in. They want to talk about the economy. And all of a sudden, because of Lindsey Graham, they're talking about something else.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Republicans. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's good. Who's down are Republicans who did not want to talk about abortion? (laughs) Because you mentioned, you know, Herschel Walker, it took that stance he took. This will certainly be in campaign ads, campaign messaging, campaign rhetoric from Senator Warnock and his allies. But it also puts Governor Kemp in, in a position he didn't want to be in. You heard his sort of dodging, multiple dodging of the question. He's been doing that at every campaign stop. You know, since since then, he'll continue to be asked about that stance, asked about whether or not he will pursue further restrictions in 2023 if he wins a second term. And he says much the same answer. Now, who is your who's up?
2: I have two quick who's up. My first is my hairdresser, Chris.
1: (laughs) Oh, Chris is the best. (laughs)
2: Chris is the best. And Chris, when I got my haircut on Wednesday, was like, oh, wait, what's your podcast called? I'm going to subscribe to that. So he says he's going to listen on Friday. Um, and he's the perfect example of our favorite Politically Georgia listener, somebody who's interested in politics, but is not following it all day, every day. And so I hear from a lot of listeners who say this is like their source of information. And so thank you, Chris, if you're listening. If not... I'll never forgive you, <laughs> but you won't even know because you're not listening. <laughs> we won't know either. Um, my real, my additional, excuse me, my additional who's up is Herschel Walker. I was out seeing him on the campaign trail this week, and he has improved quite a bit uh, discussing policy. I don't know that it is uh, ever going to reach Democrats uh, bar for This is a person who knows what he's talking about. But Herschel Walker, because he's been doing so many small events. And he's been sitting down and talking about policy with policy experts on the Republican side. And he has been doing a lot of engagement, only really with conservative audiences. But nonetheless, he's he just seems much more comfortable talking about policy, asking questions about policy, relating that back to policy issues that are out there, he is getting much, much better talking about these issues. And when it comes time to debate, I think he'll have a lot more to work with than Democrats are thinking that he will. So Herschel Walker, it's not a gigantic who's up, but it's just a very important dynamic to watch. I think he's definitely on the upswing in that area.
1: It turns out that doing a lot of public events rather than a lot of private, you know, closed door gatherings ends up helping you as a candidate. Because how many times did we say on this show and in our blogs and in our stories about how he was doing a series of private events and where he was getting little media attention, um, rather than, you know, facing the voters and, and facing reporters. And it helps you as a candidate, my who's up has got to be Grady. You know, they didn't never ask for this position, They certainly did not welcome the news that Atlanta Medical Center is closing, neither did any other metro Atlanta hospital, but they are the beneficiaries of at least $130 million. could end up being many more millions of dollars when private donations are accounted for, but they're using that money to add about 200 new hospital beds. So it's going to be a tremendous stress on Grady. They're going to go through even more growing pains over the next few years as the AMC- closure fallout takes effect, but they at least are the beneficiaries of some more spending from the state and from using federal funds. Well, that is all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you for spending your time with us on the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.